Hal Martin, the evangelist, tells a story of a deacon whose uh, life was kind of uh, put back on track as his walk with Christ was rekindled on a Sunday evening at an evangelistic service. And uh, the word really spoke to him, and he, he just got fired up for the Lord again. He'd kind of grown cold. And so he went to the pastor at the end, and he said, Pastor, I want to tell you a couple of things. The Lord has rekindled my heart, and I'm ready to live for Jesus. And I'm going to be available for service from this day forward. And so the pastor thanked him and said, you know, uh, can I pray with you? And they prayed together. And then he assured him, listen, I want you to know I'm going to call upon you. There will be a time that I call upon you. Uh, and, and you'll make good on your service, on your pledge, correct? Yes, sir, there will be. Well, later that night, a widow, a young widowed mother in the church called the pastor and said, my son needs to get to the hospital, and uh, he's got an appointment with a specialist the next day, and we had a ride lined up. I've got to be at home to take care of my other kids, but uh, our ride fell through, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and is there any way you can help me? Is there anything that you can do? And so the pastor, with a twinkle in his eye, said, actually, yes, there is. Let me make a phone call. And so he called, guess who? That deacon. He called that deacon, and he said, listen, uh, I need your help. And that deacon, at first, uh, began to protest a little bit after he kind of heard what the need was. Well, I've I've got this going on, and I'm going to have to take a half a day off work, and that's just really going to cut into my paycheck, and that's going to be difficult, and blah, 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 on down the road. And finally, at the end of his bellyache, and the pastor just kind of kindly reminded him, you know, here's what you told me you would be available for, and here's your opportunity to do it. And so the deacon said, okay. And he agreed, and he arranged the time off work to take this little boy 50 miles one way to the hospital to see this specialist for an issue that he had had going on. So the next day, he he gets in his old truck, and he drives to the woman's house, And he arrives there, and because the mother's unable to go, uh, he goes to the door, he knocks at the door, and he says, I'm here. And she says, well, you'll have to come in and pick him up. He can't walk. Okay. So he goes into the house, and he picks up the little boy, and he carries him out to the seat of his old truck, and he sets him down on the seat and gets him buckled in because that little boy couldn't carry himself on his own legs. And off they go. They go on down the road a good ways, and it's kind of quiet. The deacon doesn't really know the little boy. They haven't... Their paths haven't crossed a whole lot in church ministry, and the boy didn't have much to say. And so finally he turns and looks over at the deacon, and he says, you're God, aren't you? And the deacon said, why would you say a thing like that? Of course I'm not God. The boy said, well, last night I heard my mother crying and praying out to God to send somebody to take me to the hospital, so I thought you must be God. Nobody said anything for a little bit. The boy was quiet. And then he said, well, if you're not God, you work for him, don't you? The deacon paused. And by this time, he had tears in his eyes. And he turns and he looks at the little boy. And he says, now more than ever, son. Now more than ever. I love that story because that story encapsulates what it means to be a deacon in a New Testament Scripture following church. Two words that that story gets at. Sacrifice and service. And if you remember nothing else I talk about today, write those two words down. Remember them because that is the calling of every deacon. But I would press that even further and say that is the calling of every person 
who has been served by Jesus through his death on the cross. If he served you, how can you be called to do any less or think that you do any more? We're called to be servants. Sacrifice and service is what the deacon ministry is all about. A wonderful book that I had someone give me recently written by Robert Sheffield called The Ministry of a Baptist Deacon. And I would say this, if you want to pick up a book, it's short, it's real brief. I read most of it this week. and I'm not a fast reader. If you want to pick up a great book and read it, you say, well, I'm, I'm not a deacon. I don't need to read that book. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because you as a congregation are charged with the responsibility of, of recognizing and electing folks to serve as deacons in your church. Great book for deacons, deacons' families, and church body to read. It's called this, The Ministry of a Baptist Deacon, Robert Sheffield. He points out that down through the years, listen to this, our understanding of a deacon's calling and responsibilities have shifted from where they've begun. They have shifted from being a position of ministry where they started out in the early church, from being a position of ministry, they've shifted to becoming one of managerial authority. Trouble is, the Bible never describes the office of deacon in this manner. Deacon's not described as a manager. If you do a historical study of the diaconate, which is the big word for the deacon ministry, from the early church on, you will see that during the Middle Ages, there was this ladder that developed in the church, this powerful hierarchy. And if you wanted to rise through the ranks of leadership and, 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 uh, and you know, grow in prestige and position, what you did was you put yourself forward to become a deacon so that you could work your way up essentially to the priesthood which was, even at that time, a corrupted position of power and authority. Now, shameless plug here. If you've been in my church history lectures on Sunday night, you'll know that. But the priesthood had become corrupted by power and authority, and the diaconate, the position of deacon ministry, was the way that you climbed the ladder to get there. Instead of helping to meet needs, deacons became uh, power grabbers. And then it moved on. In the 1800s, Businessmen began meeting for meals. Businessmen, secular businessmen, started meeting for meals around wooden tables or tables made of boards. And these tables that they met around, these board tables, they met to discuss their problems. And this was the beginnings of the concept of what we call a, what kind of meeting? A board meeting. A board meeting. And this concept of a board meeting became identified with any group of persons that was charged with making decisions. Sheffield says in his book, Ministry of a Baptist Deacon, unfortunately, this concept of a board of directors was somehow transferred to the church. And the concept of a board is where we find what we call sometimes the deacon board. Alexander Strzok says this, if we don't limit ourselves to what the Bible teaches about deacons, we will most certainly corrupt God's design and invent a diaconate of our own imagination. What does that mean? Here's what he's saying. If we don't go on what the Bible says, what will we do? We'll just make it up as we go to suit the times. I think if we fairly examine the scripture, we will see that deacons are never described as a board. You will never find the word board in relation to the office or position of that of a deacon. It's not a group that makes decisions. It's not a group of managerial authority. It is instead described as a body of servants who are entrusted and charged with meeting the needs of the congregation. 
Not every woman wish, but meeting the needs so that the church can fulfill its kingdom mission. And so let me say this before we begin. This is my introduction. It is absolutely imperative. It is absolutely imperative that we commit ourselves to thinking and functioning under the word of God. Under this book right here, not on top of it. You can say, well, I stand on it. We don't stand on the Bible. We operate underneath of its authority. That's not semantics. We don't stand on this book. We operate under the banner of Christ and under what he says, because it is his church. And he said in the Gospel of Matthew, I will build my church. Not you'll build my church. I'll build my church. He doesn't need us to build his church. And it would help all of us, myself included, if we stepped away from the gospel of Matthew and said, he doesn't need me, but by his grace, he has called me to serve and build his church. So if I fall down dead right now, you know what? God can call somebody up here to come and take these notes and finish this sermon. I'm valuable because I'm made in his image. But I don't have any authority outside of what the Word of God says that I have. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do today. You may come with this concept of a board. You may say, this is how I've seen it done for churches in 50 years or 80 years. This is how I've served. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. Stand under this book and examine to see what the book says. And if it says different, that's fine. But let's go off what it says, because if we don't, we will surely wander off into the weeds and invent a diaconate, a deacon body of our own making. And you know what will happen? It'll look different from the 50s to the 80s to the 2000s to the 2020s. We need to go on what the Word of God says and let that shape and inform our thinking. So I'm going to address four questions this morning. The first one is this. What does the Word of God tell us about the office of a deacon. Quick sketch here for you. If you want to write down the book of Acts chapter 6, this is an important passage. You can turn there if you would like to. Let me give you a quick sketch though. The word deacon shows up 29 times in the New Testament. 29. You find the word diakonos. That's the word for deacon. Sounds a lot like deacon. There's other variations of the word. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the word diakonos shows up 29 times in the New Testament. I want you to listen to this Church, congregation, people that are saved under the blood of Christ. Generally speaking, it is a word referring to a common servant, not to an office. There's a handful of times, I think three or four, that it speaks about the actual position in the church. But did you know that all of you are called to be diakonoi? That's the plural. Servants. All of you. Acts chapter 6, we find what many think are the origins for the office of the deacon. So let me just, you can read this later. Let me give you a general summary. In Acts chapter 6, the Spirit of God was stirring in the city of Jerusalem. The Word of God was going forward in power as the apostles were preaching. People were being saved. The church was growing so fast they didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't figure out where to put all the people. All these great things were taking place. But when you grow sometimes, what happens? You have growing... Pains. You ever experience growing pains? I jokingly tell people that I didn't grow enough to experience growing pains. But we all go through that, right? We all go through growing pains. Just a funny 
example for us. Uh, the Lord has added to our, our quiver of arrows. That's a Psalm 127 reference. We had just bought uh, a pilot, and they tell you you can fit eight, I think, seven or eight people in that thing, but the seat doesn't fold down really easily, so you can't get car seats in there. So as we began to grow our family, all of a sudden I said to Carrie, this isn't working. I can't climb over this seat every time and buckle little babies into seats that are all over the place in our car. So I found myself driving to go pick up a minivan, <laughs> a minivan. Now you would think that's like the lowest rung of humility, you know, that a young man, I love that van. I love driving that van. It drives way better than my car. There are growing pains that we go through. And trying to blend two different cultures of Greek-speaking Jews and Hebraic Jews. Listen, you're taking two vastly different cultures and saying, all right, guys, do church. That's hard. That's tough. Think about any time in your life you've moved to another place and you had to figure out who the people were and what they were like and what they're about. Brenda Killow and I, we're neighbors, and she talks about being from eastern North Carolina, right? And she's from further east than I am, right? She's in, I'm in the middle of the state, to be clear. I'm from Durham. Okay, that's not down east. Just to be clear, there's a lot further east you can go before you get down east from here. Okay, and it's not Raleigh, Durham. Uh, I'm joking with you all about this, but it's not Raleigh, Durham. Raleigh and Durham are vastly different places, vastly different places. But when you try to blend two cultures together, it is a monumental struggle. So the Greek-speaking widows, Greek culture, Greek dress, uh, Greek food, Greek uh, slang, just everything. The Greek-speaking widows were complaining, saying, hey, we're not getting the same amount of rations in the daily food pantry ministry that the Hebrew widows are getting. And so what happened right here? You had this obvious moment of uh, a difficult situation. Alexander Strzok says the apostles realized the gravity of this situation, knowing that they cannot teach and lead the church to be about the Great Commission and... Meet the growing needs of the congregation. And so if they tried to do both, they would be stretched so thin that they would be pulled away from their calling, which was two things. First, to pray, and second, to preach and teach the word of God. So they called upon the church. They called upon the church and they said, church, select seven men. And there's nothing significant that scholars can tell about that number because there was like 20,000 people in this or. Well, by the time it was all done, there was about 20,000 in there. But there was growing by leaps and bounds. And they said, select seven men, and they need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And so these men were chosen by whom? The apostles? No, the congregation. And they were appointed by the apostles to care for the physical needs of the church. And so what happened? These men did their job well. The problem was solved, it appears, and the spirit of fellowship and unity in the church was put back together, was restored. Now, to be clear, you will not find the word for deacon in Acts chapter 6. So some say they weren't really talking about the deacons, but here's what we find. Acts chapter 6 does give us a paradigm for the deacon ministry. It was their example of serving and assisting the church that helped it be about its kingdom mission and became the launching pad for what we are doing today in the deacon ministry. Second, let's look at the actual terminology of the word deacon in the New Testament. Does it refer to a manager or does it refer to a minister among God's people? Listen to this. Listen to this. Don't miss this. Both inside and outside the biblical record. 
Inside what the Bible says and outside in just Greek-speaking culture that had nothing to do with Jesus or Christ or his teachings. In the church and outside the church, the word deacon always refers to a servant. Always. It always refers to a helper. The word literally means a servant or a helper or some have translated it as a table waiter. Why a table waiter? Because what was the need in the church at that moment? Serving food. And so they called them alongside to take care of waiting on the widows and serving and meeting their needs so that the kingdom could go forward. Listen to this. Jesus was described as a diakonos, a minister, a servant. Paul calls himself a servant, diakonos of the church. Scripture calls angels servants or ministers. The words are interchangeable. Even Satan, this may surprise you, is said to have his deacons. The word diakoneo means ministry. He has, he has ministers who minister for him and through his, his power and for his evil purposes. The word diakonos, diakonoi, refers to so much more than an official church position. So here's what I want you to do. Step outside of uh, however long you've grown up in the church. I, I, I basically grew up in the church. I wasn't terribly involved through my childhood years, but when I hear the word deacon, I have to train my own self to step outside of my, my paradigm, my box, and realize that this word diakonos, Paul actually borrows it from Greek culture. So when we talk about a deacon, we're talking about Paul looks over in Greek culture and he sees this concept of a servant and he goes, that, that right there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're going to use, diakonos, diakonoi, plural. So we're talking about something that is in and outside the biblical record and always refers to a servant, but it's so much more than an official church position. It's one who serves. Also important to note, the concept of a deacon. Nowhere in Scripture will you find it described as a ruling or governing position in the church. It's just not there. It's just not there. Go search it out. It's never described as a ruling or governing position in the church. Unfortunately, the diaconate was distorted during the Middle Ages. It was recovered during the Protestant Reformation of Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, the Anabaptists, which are a fantastic story. And then, as we said, in the 1800s, it morphed into this board position, this board of directors position. But you know what I found interesting, like like completely fascinating? One of the coolest things in my study this week, listen to this. The word that refers to ministry, like you all look at me and you say, oh, he's in the ministry. You're in the ministry. We're in the ministry. The word that refers to ministry as a noun is diakoneo. And you say, why are you throwing out all these Greek terms? Try to sound smart? No, if you saw my SAT score, you wouldn't worry about that, okay? Listen, diakonos means deacon, noun, diakoneo means ministry. You hear how closely connected those two words are? Here's what I'm saying to you. When we look at this concept of a deacon, it's not a ruling, governing, board-type, managerial position. The Scripture clearly affirms and connects that deacons are ones who serve in ministry. So here's what Sheffield and others say. We need to get deacons out of the boardroom. We need to get them out of the boardroom. 
Yes, meet to make decisions. That's fine. We got to have somebody to do that. I'm all for that. But if the only thing that we think of when we think of a deacon ministry is I'm called or you're called or we're calling you or my friend is called, my grandpa is a deacon. If the only thing we think about is meeting around a table one time a month to make decisions on behalf of the church and tell them, here's what we approve. You don't find that in the word of God. Now, I know that upsets some of you. I understand that. I'm okay with that. But we need to look at what this says. A New Testament deacon is someone that doesn't manage, but they minister among the church, meeting various needs and enabling the church to fill its God-ordained design. Listen, listen to me. Listen. There is no backup. There is no plan B for this world to be reached with the gospel. You're it. You're it. That burden is not just on me. That burden is not just on deacons in official positions here. That burden is not just on Sunday school teachers. Every position that we have in this church, every position on every committee, if it doesn't help to further the kingdom of God and do the Great Commission, listen to me, we just need to do away with it. We can call on the Lions Club or the Boy Scouts or the Hair Salon because they're full on Fridays. We can call on all of them to do good things in the community. Buy all the Girl Scout cookies you want. Buy Samoas for me. I love those. But listen to me. We need to get it right when it talks about servant leaders in God's church. We have to. Because the deacon ministry proclaims the gospel. What did Jesus say he came to do? Not to be served, but to do what? Serve. I'll give you a guess as to what word that is in the Greek. It's a variation of the word diakonos. He came to be a deacon. He came to serve. What I'm trying to do is explode your parameters for what we're talking about today. Because what we're doing with Tony is, is absolutely vital to the mission of this church. But more vital is this, that we as a church body understand what the Bible actually says, what it calls us to do. And if we are in error in any way, we need to get back to where this book calls us to be. Listen to me. Secular culture tells us deacons are managers of God's church. Scripture says they are ministers through faithful service. Number three, who is fit to serve in the office of a deacon? Who is fit to serve in the office of a deacon? 1 Timothy 3, I think, is going to pop up on the screen behind me. I think I've preached this three or four different times. Write it down, 1 Timothy 3, I think, verses 8 through 13. Go read that on your own. I'm not going to read through it again, but I'm going to lift out the five requirements that we find in here, the moral and spiritual requirements of someone called to serve in the deacon ministry. So who is fit to serve? All of us probably go, whoa, not me. Not me. I've been joking with Tony for like three weeks because we've had to postpone this thing for weather and stuff, you know. And I said, boy, I'm going to lay it on you, Tony. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm going to lay it on you, Tony. We've been going back and forth and having a good time with it. But who is fit to serve? All of us immediately probably back up and go, oh, not me. But let me ask you a question. Is that a workable answer? Like we say, no one's fit to serve. In one sense, we're right, but that's apart from Christ. 
When we come to Christ, he makes us fit for service and he enables us to do what he's called us to do. Let me ask you this question. If no one were truly fit to serve, why would Paul tell us what to look for in a person's life before we ordain them and install them into this position? Let me be clear here. It is your responsibility to select people to serve who fit what the scripture says. I say this every year. I say this every year, but it is so worth repeating. This is not a popularity contest. This is not a popularity contest. And this is not a political race. When you write a man's name down, you are saying, we have examined this person's life. Not I flippantly couldn't figure out who to put down, so I look around and who are you going to put? Who are you going to put? That's not how we approach this. As we write people's names down, we're saying we have examined what the Word of God says and this is what we believe is in this person's life. What are these things? Five things quickly. Worthy of respect. Not practicing deceitful speech. Not addicted to much wine. A man of financial integrity. And a man who holds to the mystery of the faith, meaning they're sound in doctrine. They know what they believe. These things don't change. They are true today. And those whose lives fit the the requirements in Scripture are worthy, the Bible says, to serve. So that's where you come in. That's where you're involved. The fourth and last question is this. What are the actual duties of a deacon? What are deacons supposed to do? Not what have they done here, or not what did they do in the church you grew up in, or not what does popular culture say we're supposed to do if we're a deacon, and what have deacons done throughout the history of the church? I keep talking about history this morning. I love history. I love it. Wish I knew more of it. But deacon duties vary from one church context to the next. Why? Do the needs in one church differ from the needs in another? Right. If deacons are called to serve and meet needs, well, you can't go into church A and say, well, here's how we did it for 20 years, and here's how we're going to do it over here in church B, because the church needs may be different. So what have deacons done? This is going to freak some of you guys out that are in here as deacons. You're going to be like, oh. (laughs) Down through history, deacons have been charged with reading or singing the scripture in the church. How about that, Tony? I don't know, you may can sing better than me. Receiving offerings, keeping records of who gave, being in charge of distributing offerings to the pastor, to the widows, to the poor, to those who are in need. You see why you have to be a man of financial integrity? The deacons down through history were the ones that took in the money, counted it. They didn't have separate counting teams. It's not unscriptural. This is just how they did it. And then they distributed that money. You have to know that a deacon's not going to take that money up and go, slide some in my pocket. Financial integrity, personally and professionally. They were in charge of preparing and distributing communion. They were in charge of leading prayer at worship gatherings. So in our context, it might be that the deacons could lead Wednesday night prayer. That's what they've done down through history. Even making sure those who were not allowed to take communion, unbelievers, or those under church discipline, were asked to leave before the elements were served. And some of you go, oh, that's terrible. Go study what the scripture says about taking the Lord's body and blood and doing it in a flippant fashion. Benjamin Merkel, professor of New Testament and Greek at Southeastern where I attended, says this. Deacons are not responsible to teach, although they can, or lead the congregation. But they certainly can teach and can lead if they have the spiritual gift of teaching or leading. But scripture does not seem to require that they 
teach. So if you're called upon to be a deacon, you say, well, I, I can't preach a sermon. That's not your primary calling. You can be a deacon and have the gift of teaching and function in that role. That's, that's quite all right. Very, very biblical. But you don't have to be. That's the key difference between an elder or pastor, overseer, and a deacon. The deacons were involved in house-to-house ministry. The deacons assisted in counseling in some cases. The deacons assisted with the facilities, with finances, with ushering and helping people find places to sit in church. Alexander Strzok has some of the best to say about this. He calls them agents of mercy. Agents of mercy. They help the poor, he says. They help the jobless. They help the sick. They help the widowed. They help the elderly. They help the homebound and the shut-in. They help refugees. They help the disabled. They're called on to relieve suffering and comfort, protect, and encourage those under their care and meet their needs. Wow. He says in contemporary language, they are the congregation's social workers. That's a job description right there. It's not a light matter. Strzok says, Though often hard and exasperating, a deacon's work is most precious in God's eyes. This is where Paul says, Serving well as a deacon grows you and builds you up in the faith. So that's my four questions. I want to close today with more of a personal word of hope and encouragement. And raising the bar for you, Tony, and for all ordained deacons in this church who may serve. One of the best examples I ever saw in the Christian life was a deacon in my home church at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. His name was Mitch Williams. I think we have some pictures of Mitch. Can we show those behind us on the screen? There's Mitch right there with his two grandbabies. Let's keep going. Next one. Can't see that one all that good, but that's Mitch out on his boat. And uh, I guess he's showing a, a little fish there to one of his grandbabies. Next one. That's Mitch and his daughter, Allie, and his wife, Dee, right to his, his left, your right, um, and the uh, rest of his family. Next one. This is Mitch and his wife, Dee. That's a camouflage hat right there. He's a good hunter. And uh, that's Mitch and Dee right there. Are there any more up there? Is there one more? Look at that. Sorry, two more. Go back to that one. Right there. That's Mitch right there. If you know Mitch, that's Mitch. Show that last one of him with that turkey. There he is. So I'm going to leave that one up there for just a moment for you. And Mitch would get me if uh, he knew I was doing this because he is one of the most humble, godly men, godly servants uh, I've ever been around in my life. He's a plumber who used to take me along on plumbing jobs, even though I knew nothing about plumbing except it had something to do with water. <laughs> he would say, go get me the such and such, the wrench, the whatever from the truck. And I'd say, is it the green one? He'd say, no, it's the red one. Okay. And he would talk to me in his Ford 150 with all his plumbing equipment in the back. It looked like Charlie Ledford going down the road. And he'd talk to me about plumbing and life and family and Jesus. And Mitch mentored me on the fly. He taught my Sunday school class. He took us out skiing and tubing on his boat. He took me fishing on his boat sometimes on the lake. He would catch a fish and he'd pull it up like Bill Dance. And he'd kiss that thing. Isn't he the one that kisses the fish or is that Jimmy Houston? One of them. Anyway, I kiss every fish I catch. And I say the same thing that Mitch says. Thank you, Lord. 
And I was a high school kid. I looked at Mitch. I said, Mitch, you're crazy. Really, I said, Mitch, you're crazy. Kissing fish and thanking Jesus. I said, so what's he got to do with that fish, Mitch? He said, oh, man. He said, he put us out here on this beautiful lake. Don't you enjoy this? I said, yeah, I like it. I like it. And he said, he made this beautiful fish right here for you to catch and enjoy. While you... He said, did you have a good time when you were catching him? Yeah, I did. I did. He said, well, why don't you thank him for that fish? That's Mitch. Mitch is the deacon chairman at my church. My mom just told me this past week. I told her I was going to show all these pictures and talk about Mitch. He loves his wife. He loves his two girls. He loves his grandbabies. He raised them in church. He was faithful in attendance. And Mitch does all of his work with the biggest and loudest smile you've ever seen. My dad said about Mitch Williams, he said this, it's a good thing he's in business for himself because he'll get to talking, especially if it's about Jesus and his faith, and he won't stop. He's not doing that because somebody voted him into an office. Mitch patterns himself after Christ. And everyone who knows him and spends time around him will tell you that he is faithful, joyful, and a servant to everyone he meets. These are the things that I learned about being a deacon. I didn't understand 1 Timothy 3. I couldn't tell you the five things that had to be in a person's life. But I watched Mitch Williams. And he lived it out. In his home, in his marriage, in his family, in his job, in every aspect of his life. I was a high school kid. I didn't know I'd be up here talking to you about deacons one day from the Bible. But Mitch's example from 20 plus years ago stands out in my life. The deacon ministry is a wonderful place of service. Tony, my challenge for you today is to consider the things that we have talked about. To seek the Holy Spirit's help in performing your ministry among this church body. To treat each person, as the book of James tells us, with equal dignity and care and serve Christ as you serve them. To pattern yourself after Jesus who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Your place in the life of this church is not one of managerial authority, but one of servant-hearted influence and ministry among God's people. You will be privy at times to vital and sensitive information of the flock. And scripture calls us to guard that knowledge carefully. You must walk in the spirit. Lean on his grace as he enables you to fulfill your duties. Today, this church, your church family, this congregation is coming around you to express its confidence in you. Affirming that your life meets the standards in scripture having observed your life for some time. And so today, we joyfully recognize and affirm the work of the Holy Spirit in you and celebrate the grace of God in your life today at your ordination service. I'm going to have a word of prayer to close our message time, and then I'm going to ask Tony and Cheryl if you would to come forward and stand facing the front as we do our deacon charge. Father, I come before you right now, hoping that everything I have said, Lord, has been in keeping with your word. And my prayer would be, if there has been something, anything, Lord, that has been out of line with what your book teaches, Lord, that you would cause us to forget it, that you would cause me to repent of it, and we would do what your book says. That's what we ultimately want to do. Lord, we come around Tony today to affirm and recognize your hand on his life, on his marriage, on the things he gives himself to, and to ask, Father, that you would bless his ministry among the church. We thank you, Father, for this congregation that has observed and examined and called him into this ministry. Lord, and we look forward to his time serving at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.